Esther chapter 5 verse 1. Now it came to pass on the third day that Esther put on her royal apparel and stood in the inner court of the king's house over against the king's house, and the king sat upon his royal throne in the royal house over against the entrance of the house. He's facing the entrance and she's facing the back of the house. He's on his throne facing whoever approaches. When you come in the throne room, you're facing the throne. She is interceding for her people, this little fragile, delicate girl, risking her life to save her people because if she enters without permission, she'll die unless he holds out that scepter to her. Being the comedy that it is, the fear is that the king isn't interested in seeing her and she will be killed. But in reality, even though he hasn't seen her in a month, that doesn't mean that he's not madly in love with her. He's just been busy. He's so in love with her that when she enters, he pretty much falls off of his throne in admiration, love, and desire. You can just imagine how humorous this would be that he's actually been thinking about her the whole time. And when he sees her, his jaw drops to the floor and he runs to her with that golden scepter and begs her to touch the top of it so that she will live. In the last chapter, she thought that since the king hadn't asked to see her in a long time, that there was a good chance that she would be killed for approaching his throne. But in reality, he desires her above everyone. And he is flattered and delighted that she came to see him. Now, this is the opposite of what happened with Vashti. Vashti was requested by the king, and she refused to come. On the other hand, Esther was not requested by the king, and she came at the risk of her own life. So you see what a drastic difference it was between Vashti and Esther. Vashti thought the king didn't deserve her time, and Esther was willing to risk her life to try to approach the king and be in his presence. So you can imagine the great appeal to the king. Here's a woman who's ready to die to see me. That's what he's thinking. On top of the fact that he's already in love with her, he believes she's the most beautiful, most attractive, most desirable, best personality in the whole kingdom that he's ever met. There are Christians all over the world who risk their lives to be in the presence of the Lord because in many countries it's illegal to be a Christian and to preach the gospel or share your testimony. Esther in that sense also represents the church because she's willing to risk her life to be in the presence of the king. 2. And it was so when the king saw Esther, the queen standing in the court, that she obtained favor in his sight. And the king held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. So Esther drew near and touched the top of the scepter. The scepter symbolizes the king's power and authority. And by touching it, she is receiving his power to save. Again, there's more imagery of God. 3. Then said the king unto her, What wilt thou, Queen Esther, for whatever thy request, even to the half of the kingdom, it shall be given thee? You can see how much he really loves her. 4. And Esther said, If it seem good unto the king, let the king and Haman come this day unto the banquet that I have prepared for him. When she said him, she means the king. 
She's kind of speaking in the third person to the king, saying, This banquet is for you, but I'm also inviting Haman to join you at this banquet. Now, she has been fasting for three days, but during those three days, she has prepared an amazing banquet for the king, which also shows how sacrificial she is. Because while she's not eating, she's planning an amazing feast for the king to eat. 5. Then the king said, Cause Haman to make haste, that it may be done as Esther hath said. So the king and Haman came to the banquet that Esther had prepared. This is also part of the comic setup, because it would make Haman think that he is a guest of honor. It also makes the king think that Haman is a guest of honor. It adds a big element of surprise when we find out what will happen in the next couple of chapters. There's been a lot of comic setup so far. For one thing, Haman rolled that dice and it said the month of Adar is his lucky month. For another, Haman became very powerful in the kingdom because he became the king's right-hand man. So he's on top of the world. He thinks the whole world loves him. For a third setup for Haman... Now Esther, the queen, has invited him to a very special elite banquet with just him and the king and her being there. 6. And the king said unto Esther at the banquet of wine, Whatever thy petition, it shall be granted thee, and whatever thy request, even to the half of the kingdom, it shall be performed. Now this is the second time that the king has promised Esther that whatever she wants, she's going to get, even if it's up to half of the kingdom. 7. Then answered Esther and said, My petition and my request is, and remember they're at the banquet. All three of them are sitting there drinking and eating. And she says, 8. If I have found favor in the sight of the king, and if it please the king to grant my petition and to perform my request, let the king and Haman come to the banquet that I shall prepare for them, and I will do tomorrow as the king hath said. She is saying, will you please come to another banquet tomorrow night? Then I will tell you what I would like to receive from you. They were invited to the banquet twice. And all throughout scripture in both the Old and New Testament, whenever something is done twice, it seals the deal. When Jesus said, verily, verily, I say unto you, he said truthfully twice, which meant there's no turning back. This will happen. And when God gave the dream twice to Pharaoh, it meant that there was no turning back. The famine would come. Anytime there's something twice, it means it's unchangeable. I think it's a foreshadowing that something is definitely going to happen, which is that Esther is definitely going to get what she asks for. The first time that she invited the king and Haman to the banquet, she said that the banquet was for the king and Haman would be a special guest. The second time, she said that the banquet was for both of them. This elevates Haman even more, which makes him less able to realize what's going on and less able to prepare. Haman does not see Esther as an enemy, although she is an enemy to Haman, but he can't figure that out because he's so flattered by these invitations. The second banquet is actually going to be in his honor along with the king, so he's getting elevated more and more in his own mind. The best time to strike your opponent is when they're least expecting it. This is what Esther is doing with Haman. 
9. Then went Haman forth that day joyful and glad of heart. But when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate, that he stood not up nor moved for him, Haman was filled with wrath against Mordecai. Haman has been at the first banquet, and Esther has now invited him and the king to the next banquet the next day, but that banquet hasn't occurred yet. So after the first night, he went skipping his way home because he was so happy that he was treated so well by the queen. But at the same time, he absolutely hates Mordecai, and he doesn't know that Mordecai is Esther's uncle. And he's still trying to think of a way to kill Mordecai. Now Mordecai will not bow to him. 10. Nevertheless, Haman refrained himself and went home, and he sent and fetched his friends and Zeresh his wife. Haman's wife's name is Zeresh, and in Hebrew that means misery. It also means foreign and to lose your inheritance. All of that is going to happen to Mordecai. He's going to be miserable. His family is going to be treated as foreigners, and they're going to lose their inheritance. 11. And Haman recounted unto them, meaning his wife and his friends, the glory of his riches and the multitude of his children, and everything as to how the king had promoted him, and how he had advanced him above the princes and the servants of the king. He's having a brag fest. 12. And Haman said moreover, Yea, Esther the queen did let no man come in with the king unto the banquet that she had prepared but myself, and tomorrow also I am invited by her together with the king. He's adding more bragging on top of it about the banquets, the one he's already been to and the one he's going to go to. 13. Yet all this availeth me nothing so long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. Haman is saying, I'm still not happy. Even though I have all these things, I still want Mordecai dead. 14. Then said Zeresh his wife and all his friends unto him, Let a gallows be made of fifty cubits high, and in the morning speak thou unto the king that Mordecai may be hanged thereon. Then go thou in merrily with the king unto the banquet. And the thing pleased Haman, and he caused the gallows to be made that very evening he had a makeshift gallows put up really quickly. And this is something that could easily be done in an evening if you have enough men working on it. It was his plan to first thing in the morning run to the king and say, hey, can I have Mordecai killed and hanged on the gallows? And he knew the king would say yes. And then he would have an awesome day and he would complete that day by going to Esther's banquet. That was the plan. It would be the greatest day of Haman's life. But of course, being a comedy, we know it isn't going to work out like that. But the setup is now complete. Haman is on top of the world. He thinks he's number one with the king and number one with the queen. He believes that his archenemy Mordecai will die tomorrow morning. And he also believes that the month of Adar is his lucky month. And that month is coming very soon. And in that month, he believes that all of Mordecai's people will be destroyed because of the earlier edict of the king. That's where we end in Esther chapter 5, with Haman, who represents Satan, believing that he has completely won the game.